There is a lot of phony baloney religion out there. We all know it when we see it. In fact, we can smell the stench of fake Christianity from a long way off. Hypocritical faith is the kind that talks a big game of giving to the poor, but ends up empty. We cannot say that we believe in helping the poor, the widow, and the orphan if we're doing nothing for them. And not to sound too harsh, but really, prayer is not enough. We need to step up and give. Incidentally, the reason we don't give is because we love our money and our creature comforts more than the orphan and the widow. James says true religion cares for the orphan and the widow and refuses to be corrupted by the world. We have news for you. If you refuse to help the poor and needy in a generous way, then it's too late. You've already been corrupted by the world. You love your money and your stuff more than those whom God loves. God help us to be Christ-like. By the way, when it comes to prosperity, listen to this. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Proverbs 19:17. Start living a holy life, and he will prosper you. Good morning, everyone. Good, morning. Good to see you today. Um, I just uh, I can't see everybody really well, but if we have any guests here today, welcome and hope you enjoy yourself. Uh, you may be a little bit surprised at the title of this sermon series called Prosperity 101, but uh, uh, don't be shocked or surprised. I think that you'll get a clear understanding of what it actually means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, we've been talking and trying to give a lot of good advice on how to manage our resources, our finances. Last week we talked about uh, getting out of debt. I've had lots of really great feedback from that, um, but uh, I, think, I think all of us once in a while need a, a checkup, need a maybe, uh, maybe just to be reminded of what it is that we're supposed to do or maybe not do. Uh, I found this interesting uh, bit of advice. Do you want to make money from Facebook? It's easy. Just go to your account setting, deactivate your account, and go to work. <laughs> Thanks, Vicky, for laughing. I asked Vicky to sit up close to the front, laugh at my jokes. So appreciate that so much. Um, and maybe this is maybe this is where you're at right now. I have enough money to live comfortably for the rest of my life if I die by next Tuesday. <laughs> I don't. Maybe that's you. I don't know. Well. We've uh, seen a lot of, uh, of misinformation, a lot of uh, perhaps, uh, well, this downright wrong teaching on what prosperity is. We've heard the TV preachers tell us that God wants us to be rich. And in fact, if, if the message weren't enough, they love to brag about how rich they are. And so uh, I told you this, you know, last few weeks, I told you to go Google the TV preachers yourself and find out what their net worth is. Just type in the name of your favorite TV preacher, then write net worth, and then, and then push enter, and you'll discover that Creflo Dollar uh, is worth $27 million. Did you hear that? That's $27 million. So what is that, like 100 Canadian, 100 million Canadian? Uh, laughed Vicky. Uh, <laughs> Benny Hinn, $42 million. Pat Robertson, they're estimating at least 100 million. And um, of course, they all, that's, that's what they believe, that's what they're teaching. And, and you know, they, they, they may very well, and I believe they are sincere in their belief that God wants everybody to be rich. And if they're going to be 
purveyors of that message, if they're going to be preaching or teaching that message that God wants everybody to be rich, well, then they better be rich themselves. Otherwise, it won't add up. So they're saying, my message has got great authority and power because look how rich I am. And then, of course, there's this guy. Uh, does anybody recognize him? Beliefnet.com says he's worth $760 million. And, um, and, and then if you read some other places, it says he's worth $25 million. So he's worth somewhere between $25 and $760 million. And uh, uh, folks, $25 million, that's a lot of money, never mind $760. Um, I think maybe the reason they've come up with that big number is because he's got his own uh, airstrip in his backyard uh, next to the $7 million uh, parsonage. And... Um, and, and then he's got a hangar full of pl pl ministry planes. You can only play, fly one plane at once. Everybody knows that. Um, do I, do, am I mad at him? Um, you know what? It's not my place to judge. Right? Does everybody know that? We don't judge people here. But what we do have is something called discernment. Has anybody ever heard that word before? Say it with me, discernment. So with discernment, we're able to make right choices, and we're able to discern what's right and maybe what's not right. And here's what we do. Uh, we're, we're, I'm not going to sit here in judgment and condemnation on this man because I've been told that people have come to Christ through his ministry, and so we'll leave it at that. But, but know this. Know this. These, these men that I've mentioned, and there's many, many more, these men that I've mentioned, they all claim to preach a message based on the instruction and the teaching of our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So to me, it's an interesting tribute, isn't it, to the one who had nothing that these ministers would have so much. Discernment, my friends, is what God's calling us to use. And the sad thing, folks, is that they'll use a verse like this, the verse that we've been talking about over the past four weeks, and then we're going to be really zeroing in on this verse next Sunday. But, but Paul says this to, to the Corinthians. He says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. They use that verse to say, see, I told you, Jesus died on the cross so I could, I could have a $60 million jet. I could drive a Rolls Royce. I could have $3,000, $5,000, $10,000 suits, wear nice jewelry and expensive shoes. Hallelujah. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, when I hear that and when I see that, there's something inside of me that rises up and screams, no, surely this is not the gospel. Surely this can't be right. Well, I'm going to tell you this morning that if you are looking at the full counsel of Scripture, if you're reading everything in the Bible, if you're not just cherry-picking your favorite verses, if you're not just using your concordance to pick out the verses you like, then you've got to see what the whole Bible says. And, and so this morning what I want to do is I want to talk about, about holiness as it relates to prosperity. And you say, I, I don't know how you're going to do that, Pastor. Well, you're going to see in just a few moments. But I'm going to tell you this. Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth 
where moth and rust and robbers can destroy it. What does Jesus say? Store up for yourself treasure in heaven, not on earth. And so, folks, look at this. This is the rich life that Jesus is promising us. This is what the Apostle Paul is promising to all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. We talk about Jesus become poor for our sake so that we can become rich. This is what Paul is talking about. So let's just take a quick look. First of all, the Apostle Paul is saying Jesus became poor so that you could have a new life. A fresh start. Now just stop and think about that for a moment. How many are glad today that the old you is dead and that you are a brand new creation? A few people waving, a few people happy about this. You are a brand new creation. The old you is dead. All, everything that was, was deplorable and horrible and miserable and ugly and sinful and wicked that's all dead. And this is why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a celebration of, of the old us being dead and buried. This is why we baptize people by immersing them in water. The old you is dead. You come up, and this represents or symbolizes a fresh start. So if you are happy for the fresh start in Jesus Christ, say amen. amen. That's not bad. First service is way better. Okay, this, well, but we got two more to go here, folks. You can, you can do better. The next thing, and this is, we're talking about great riches here. The next great thing that Jesus has given us through his poverty by dying on the cross for our sins is he's given us the abundant life. And, and here's what we know in the New Testament. The abundant life represents all our needs met. Would you say that? All my needs are met. Say it. All my needs are met. Not some, all of them. Absolutely, every one of your needs is met through Jesus Christ. I love the way the New Living Translation puts this, because the verse that I learned, John chapter 10, verse 10, was the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The NLT translate uh, abundantly, or the abundant life, as a rich and satisfying life. I love that. A life that's filled with purpose. A life that's filled with contentment. Are you content today? If you're not content, if you're not happy with where you're at, if you don't like where you're at in your life right now, the good news is that Jesus Christ can fix that instantly. All you have to do is come to him and tell him where you're at, and he can put a, a joy and a peace in your life that no amount of wealth or riches will ever give you. Would you say amen to that? Amen. Not bad. Now, here's the, here's the kicker. Here's the great thing. Those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we not only get a new life through Christ, we not only get a life that's rich and satisfying, but we get eternal life. That means we have the hope of heaven. I don't have to be afraid of dying. Somebody said to me, you're going to Burundi, and it says on the, Canadian, on the website, the Canadian website, they tell you what countries you can travel to and what ones you shouldn't travel to. And some will say, you know, it's not advised. Uh, it's, just, it's just got, you know, it's code orange or whatever. When it comes to Burundi, it says, do not go to Burundi at all. It's something like that. Do not go. Red, flashing light. Don't go to Burundi. It's extremely dangerous. And aren't you worried about about dying, and I say, I've got the hope of eternal life. 
It changes the way you live your life. It changes how you experience your life when you understand that this, this, is the, this represents the riches that we have through Christ. Now, according to this definition, watch this, according to this definition of what riches is, your net worth or the amount of money that you've got in the bank account has nothing to do with how rich you are. Did you get that? According to this definition of riches, your net worth or how much money you have in the bank account or what kind of a car you drive or what kind of jewelry you have or what kind of uh, a vehicle you drive, it, it, none of this represents riches. So based on this definition of riches, who here today would say, I am rich? I'll, we'll do it together. If you, if you believe that you've got all of this, then I want you to simply say, I am rich. I am rich. Well, hallelujah. You're awake. <laughs> this is good. So we're rich. We've got rich people here today. Now, the problem is, the problem is, is that we've got some misunderstanding and we need some clarification. So here's what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go back and examine or rediscover exactly what does it mean to be a Christian. Jesus does promise us prosperity, and Paul the Apostle confirms that in Corinthians. What does it mean to be rich? Well, let me read to you a passage of Scripture found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. And the Apostle Paul says this to his young protege. He says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Did you get that? True godliness with contentment. That's what great wealth is. And that, where do we get our contentment from, folks? The new life, the abundant life, the eternal life. And being happy with this, content with this. He says, this is itself great wealth. And then verse 7 says, After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing... Let us be content. That's all we need. If you've got your food and clothing, you don't need anything else. Now, I want you to just, just make a mental note of what I'm just saying here, because you're going to see how significant this is in just a moment. Paul goes on to say this, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. And he says, these harmful desires plunge them into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things, pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Folks, we're talking about the life that Jesus Christ wants for every one of us. The problem is, where so many of us, is that we forget what true riches are. Look at this one. I'm one step away from being rich. All I need now is money. For many of us, we, uh, we think I'm, I'm rich only when I've got money in my bank account. I'm rich only when I get whatever I want. It's time for us now, folks, to step back and take a look again at the life that Jesus Christ has called us to live. Paul says, if we have enough food and clothing, let's be content. 
but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped. He's warning us, isn't he, that this desire for wealth, this desire for money, is a trap, and it ends in destruction, it end, ends in sadness, it ends in sorrow. In fact, I have, over the years, I've been in the ministry now for a lot of years, I have watched people ruin their lives with get-rich-quick schemes, uh, investing, in, investing in lottery tickets, uh, investing in all sorts of things that are what you would call a get-rich-quick scheme. And I'm going to tell you, I just want to warn you right now. Are you listening? Is everybody listening? You need to understand that God provides for you and he meets your every need. Did you hear that? God provides for you and he meets your every need. Now, if you and I start trying to do an end run around God, when we start doing things according to our own understanding, according to our own wisdom, that is when we get into trouble. When we start doing things that are contrary to what God's word tells us. And by the way, the problem with Christians today is that we don't know the Word of God. We just simply don't read the Bible. We listen to, we listen to podcasts, we listen to sermons online, we, we read books, but we don't actually read the Scripture ourselves. So here's a critical truth that you need to take home with you today. God has promised to meet all your needs and if you are in trouble financially, if your needs are not being met, then here's the problem. You're not doing things the way God wants you to do them. Get it? If you are struggling financially, that means you're not doing things the way God wants you to do them. And so what we need to do is we need to step back and say, God, what does it, what does it mean to be a Christian? How can I enjoy the rich life that you're promising me? Look at, look at this, uh, this passage of Scripture. Jesus is speaking to the church in Laodicea, and here's what he's saying, Revelation 3.17. The Laodiceans, they're a, a, a bunch of Christians who are well off, we could say very much like Christians in the West, and they say, um, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And Jesus says, but what you don't realize is that you are actually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Jesus is making it clear to us, folks, that true riches is not in what can be measured in the bank account or in the number of things that you own. True riches is very much something that's internal, something that's spiritual. So when Paul talks about being rich through Jesus Christ, obviously he means something more than just having nice clothes and big bank accounts. So you say, well, the Bible's saying that you're rich, and then it's saying that you're not rich. And Is the Bible contradicting itself? Of course, the answer to that is, of course not. The problem is, is that we just don't know what the full counsel, what the full Bible, what the full scripture is telling us. So what we need to do is we need to understand what does it mean to be a Christian? So now we're back to what we were talking about a few weeks ago. Remember we said that as Christians, you and I are stewards. Stewards are in fact uh, managers. 
And to everyone here today, Jesus Christ has entrusted to you time, treasure, and various types of treasure, and talent. And God wants us as his stewards, as his, as his men and women, to use our time and our treasure and our talent for his glory and honor. In fact, that is what it means to be holy. Here's, remember remember the, the definition of holy. It means to be set apart for God's purpose, dedicated to the service of God. Now, we talk about angels. Here's what you need to know. Angels are God's heavenly holy ones. Angels are the ones who are set apart for God's purposes in heaven. Now, remember, we, read, we, we, we did a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, and we, we were taught to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, God's will is done through his holy angels. We call it the, the angel army, the hosts of heaven. But know this, they are holy. They are set apart for God's purpose. So angels take care of God's work in heaven. Who takes care of God's work on earth? God's holy Christians. And that would be you and I. Now, for some of us, we grew up in a church tradition that said there are only certain, certain men and women through the ages could be called holy. We call them saints. But here's what you need to know. The Bible says every one of us is a saint. No pope declares you holy. Jesus Christ declares you holy. You're declared holy, not, listen to this, not by your good works. You're declared holy by Jesus Christ's good works. This is what Paul's talking about. He became poor so that for our sake we could become rich. Jesus, de Jesus himself declares that we are holy because of his work on the cross. Now, now watch this. So if you and I are holy, you watching this? It means that you and I have been set apart for God's purposes. We are actually, as Christians, dedicated to the service of God. Now, can I just say something to, to you today? If you're not a Christian, you're not holy. If you're not a Christian, then just let this stuff go in one ear and out the other. Don't panic. But for those of you who say today, I am a born-again Christian, I put my faith in Christ, then you need to listen very closely to what I'm going to tell you right now. Are you ready for this? If you and I are, in fact, God's holy ones here on earth, doing his will on earth, as the angels do his will in heaven, listen to this, then what you and I need to understand is that you and I are God's hands and his feet. We are an extension of God here on this earth. This is why James tells us that pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means to care for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt us. Now watch this. If you and I do not care about the orphans, do not care about the widows. If you and I are not caring for those who are in distress, if you and I don't care about the people who are struggling, who are in darkness, and who need help, then it's too late. You've already been corrupted. The world now has determined, has dictated to you how you will live your life. James says if you're a Christian, then in fact you are going to be caring for the ones that God cares about. Did you get that? If you are a Christian today, then you are going to care about the people that God cares about. And I'm going to tell you today, God loves the orphans. He loves the widows. He loves those who are in distress. 
He loves those who are broken, hurting, who are struggling, who are addicted, who are desperate. I hear people say, where is God in this dark world? And I'll tell you where God is. Here. Wherever you're going, you are going, listen to this, as an agent of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You now are an agent bringing hope, and watch this, bringing prosperity to people who are broken and in distress. This is why we're going to Burundi. Burundi is called, it used to be called the poorest country on earth. Now it's in second place. There's another country that's in first place. Burundi now is in second place. The poorest country on earth. And I'm going to tell you, this, this little church here called Cross Church has done, it does, has done amazing things in that country to start bringing prosperity to the church and to anybody connected to the church through Village of Hope. Folks, this is God's plan to spread the prosperity of Jesus Christ to a broken and hurting world. And remember, it's not just money. It's a heart condition of saying I have all that I need and that I have eternal life. And you say, well, Pastor Allen, that's all good and wonderful, but where does, when does my prosperity kick in? Where, where, do I, where do I figure into all of this? I mean, Jesus says he wants me to be rich, but is there, is there prosperity for me? Is, is God going to meet my needs? Well, absolutely, Yes. And I'm going to tell you two things that you need to know about God's provision and prosperity in your life. First of all, in week one, we said that we reap what we sow. And, and here's, here's, here's the thing. If you are sowing generously in caring for the poor, caring for the widow, caring for the orphan, caring for those in, in darkness who are struggling and don't know Jesus, if you are sowing richly, then the Bible says that God will reward you. He will, in fact, meet your every need. Here's what it says, Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is kind to the poor, and lend, they lend to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. When you're giving to the poor, you're not lending to them. You're, giving, you're lending to God, the Bible says, and God himself has promised that he will reward you. He will meet your needs. He will take care of every single one of your needs. But you have to look at this. You've got to get your focus off of yourself, off of your wants, off of your greed, and you need to start taking care of the needs of others. Glory and I have tried to live our lives like that. We've tried, even when we had nothing, we still tried to be very generous. When Glory and I were in, in Greece as missionaries. We literally had no furniture. We had a bed to sleep in. We had a table. We had no chairs. We bought there's some gypsies going by with some plastic chairs, you know, those stacking chairs. And, uh, and we, we, we ran out to the street. And we, got, we got four or five chairs, some plastic chairs. That was all the furniture we had. But we said, God, we want to dedicate our home to be used for your glory and honor. And so we started having all kinds of people over, and, and there were YWAMers uh, that were stationed nearby, and we invite them into our house, and we give them food, and people were passing through, through the country. They would stop at the Duncalfs, and we'd put them up, and we even had a, young, a whole family come and stay with us. And I said to Gloria, I don't know how we're going to afford this, a whole family staying with us, and they stayed for quite a while. And, and uh, we just said, well, God's going to take care of us. God's going to meet our needs. And that's exactly what happened. Um, I don't know why the family didn't think that maybe uh, they should help out a little bit. But 
But we committed it to God, and we met their needs, and God just came through over and over and over again. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. You know, when we uh, moved into the house that we're in right now, we, uh, we, we said, God, we want our home to be used for your glory and honor. We lived over on Elgin Avenue, and we said the same thing. God, we want our house to be used for your glory and honor. And we had people into our home all the time, people visiting and, and all kinds of functions, hospitality, hospitality. And we said, God, we need some other place to live now. God made it possible for us to get a new home. And again, we said, God, we want to devote it to you. And we use it for our small groups. We use it for all the things that we need. Now, here's the thing. Some people come and say, oh, what a nice house. This is a nice house. You must be rich. Well, I am rich. But here's what you need to understand. I'm rich in God's provision so that I can use what I have for his glory and honor. Does that make sense? The day that I stop using what God has given me for his glory and honor is the day it all dries up. God provides for me. He meets my needs so that I can then in turn use it for his glory and honor. Now watch this, folks. If you are not faithful in doing with what you have what God wants you to do, it's going to dry up. You're going to start struggling. You're going to start having financial problems. It's going to all start falling apart. Because as Christians, we understand that everything we have, it belongs to God. Which leads me to my second point. So you reap what you sow. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. The second point is this, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. We read this verse from Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It says, No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. Now, something you need to see here, uh, and this is where so many of us go wrong. We think that we are in a position to, to make choices, that we can choose to serve God or we can choose to serve money. And I'll even hear people say, you know, I really had, had a bit of a rough month or struggling a little bit here because, you know, my heart's not right. And, you know, I haven't really been serving God the way I should be serving God. And I've been caught up serving money. And, uh, and the, the idea is that we have a choice. So here's what you need to understand. If you are a Christian today, if, in fact, you truly are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not have a choice. Because the true translation of this scripture, Matthew 6, 24, goes like this. No one can be a slave to two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You cannot be enslaved to God and be enslaved to money. This is the problem with North American Christianity. We have this notion or this idea that I can serve God or I can serve myself or I can serve my wife, my kids, I can serve whatever and be a Christian. No, you can't. If you're a Christian today, the Bible is clear that you are a slave to Jesus Christ. You say, well, Pastor Allen, I don't remember reading that in my Bible. Well, it, I, you know, I did some research, and here's the interesting thing. In almost all the tra English, English translations, instead of using the word slave, they use the word servant, or sometimes bondservant. And I have my suspicions as to why we use the word servant rather than the word slave, because 
Servant doesn't sound as, as objectionable or distasteful as the word slave. When we think of slave, we think of slavery in, in a, you know, what we saw in North, in North America, particularly in, in America. We don't like that word slave. We prefer the word servant. It sounds a little bit more dignified. We think of a butler in England who waits on his master but is still treated with dignity, etc., etc. So we don't want to use that word slave. The interesting thing is this. I don't know if we have any Russian-speaking people here who maybe have a Russian Bible, but it, where it says uh, slave, they actually translate it as slave. Uh, if you're Filipino, maybe uh, read the Tagalog Bible, I believe it uses the word slave. And we see that in the Romanian Bible, many, many other translations will actually properly translate that word as slave. But the English didn't want to translate it as slave, they translated it as servant. And it has given us this false idea, this false understanding that we can make our own choices and do whatever we please. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing can be further from the truth. To be a, a follower of Jesus Christ means that you do exactly what Jesus wants you to do. Nothing less and nothing more. Think about this. Think about, about the verses that you've read in the New Testament and you haven't quite understood them. I'm going I'm to challenge you to try reading through the New Testament and, and as you're reading, read with your slave filter on. In other words, read it as a slave of Jesus Christ. And you'll begin to see the language of the New Testament, and, and you'll begin to see that, in fact, we are slaves. For instance, you, you may have read that verse. It says, we've been bought with a price. How many remember that verse? Remember that verse? You've been bought with a price. Or maybe you've read the word, uh, the, the verse that says, we belong to Christ. Or you read the verse that says that we are, uh, we are God's own possession. Uh, you've maybe read verses like this, you're to die to yourself, to Take up your cross and follow Jesus. In other words, we're called to be slaves of Jesus Christ. True Christianity is not about adding Jesus to your life. True Christianity means you surrender your life completely to Christ and do whatever he says. Now, some of you are wondering, well, Pastor Allen, um, what does this have to do with prosperity? Before I answer that question, I want to just point out one more thing. The reason that so many of us think that we can make choices as to how we live our life is because of the contemporary Christian language that we use these days. We talk about the freedom that we have or the liberation that we have. We talk about the health, the wealth, the prosperity that we have in Christ. We talk about fulfilling our dreams and we talk about how God wants to help you find your purpose and, and how God wants you to be all that you want to be. Um, that God wants to help you fulfill your every ambition, your every desire. Folks, I'm going to tell you, this is, this is an invention of modern Christianity. This is not biblical. And I challenge you to pick up your Bible and read it yourself. You and I are slaves of Jesus Christ. Now listen, that's your choice. When you came to Christ, you said, I want to be a slave of Jesus Christ. I want to be a Christian. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. And you've made that transaction. You said, I want to be a slave of Jesus Christ. And you might say today, well, that is such strong language. I find it objectionable. I don't think I want to be a Christian if I have to be a slave. Well, can I just remind you of something? In case some of you are offended by that terminology. I know it offended many English translators. They didn't want to use the word slave. 
150, used 150 times in the New Testament, almost every single time they use the word servant and not the word slave, but it's slave. I want you to know this today. That when Jesus Christ, you, you, we're slaves to Jesus Christ, but understand this, Jesus Christ died on the cross for his slaves. That's as low as you can go. You thought being a slave of Jesus Christ is going low? I'm telling you, it's not going low. Jesus went the lowest so that he could bring us up. Pastor Ellen, you're still not answering the question. What does this have to do with prosperity? As slaves of Jesus Christ, you and I dwell in the house of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when Jesus was using this language to teach the people of his day, these people understood exactly what he's talking about. We don't understand it because it's foreign to us. But to the people that were listening to Jesus, they understood that to be a slave in the house of a king, it meant all your needs are met. You got a place to sleep. You're content. You're happy. You're well treated. You're a friend of the master. Whatever you need, the master's there to provide for you and meet your needs. You need a doctor, the master's going to meet your needs. Your children need help, the master's going to meet your needs. Going to provide education for your children. Every one of your needs is met. And for many people, listen to this, for many people in Jesus' day, to be a slave to a king was better than anything that you could ever hope for. And I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart right now. Because all the wealth that you could amass in this life cannot equal the riches that are yours as a slave in the household of the King of Kings. Would you stand with me, please? Father, today we pray that you would help us understand the wealth that is ours as slaves of Jesus Christ. All the wealth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is ours because we are slaves in the household of Jesus. We pray now, God, that for every need that's represented here, every marriage problem, every family problem, every business problem, every financial struggle, every health problem, God, we pray today that you'd help us to see that you are our master and it's your job to take care of us because we belong to you and you love us. As slaves of the King of Kings, we don't take care of ourselves. God, you take care of us. Our job is to keep our eyes on you and just keep doing your will. God, some of us have forgotten that today and we've gotten ourselves into trouble. Some of us today have forgotten that our job is to serve the King of Kings, to use our time, our treasure, and talent for his glory. God, we pray today that you would let your prosperity reign and rise up in our congregation as each one determines once again to surrender their time, their treasure to you. 
knowing, God, that you want to take care of us, prosper us, and meet our needs. And so we pray all that in Jesus' name, thanking you, God, for your rich provision. And we pray that in your name, and everyone said it. Tell the person beside you, I am a slave.